Today we're continuing our Fulfilled series that we started last week, sort of. So if you're here last week, you know we had a jam-packed service and we had a lot of things going on. The kids were very, very involved and so we cut the the, uh, message back very, very short last week. But we did begin this series where we said we're going to take the four weeks leading up to Christmas to dig into these themes of Advent, of hope and love and joy and peace. But the way we're going to do that is to look at some of the passages in the book of Isaiah and some of the prophecies that talk a bit about what Jesus was going to come to do. And so this is a really, really important process for us, as we talked about with the kids Advent is a time of us being able to make sure that Christmas doesn't just suddenly appear and then we have Christmas and then it's over, but to really get our hearts ready. And so Advent is this beautiful time of us really slowing down and building a sense of expectation about what it looks like for us to greet this king who was born as a baby. So... We are going to go back a little bit to what we were going to do last week, which is a bit of an introduction to Isaiah and where that all comes from, and then we'll jump into our theme for this week around the theme of love. So Isaiah is one of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, We call him one of the major prophets because he was a pretty big deal, and not just because his book is really, really big, but because he had a fair bit to say that has a significant impact on what we understand about who Jesus is. Isaiah uh, lived somewhere between kind of 740 and 700 BC, and many people actually believe that the book of Isaiah was probably written not just by one person, but by two and potentially even three different people. The reason why people believe that is because there are some very different events that are unpacked that span a fairly significant amount of time, but also because the writing style changes throughout the book. For me, it doesn't really matter whether it was one guy called Isaiah or a number of guys who were called Isaiah or a number of guys who were called all different names because the theme that goes all the way through the book is very, very consistent. And it's really wrestling with this question. Who is God and what is God like? What is the character of God? And so throughout the book of Isaiah, we see him or them unpacking all of these different things that help us to understand what God is like. That God is a God who's holy, that God is perfect in every way, that God is pure, that God always operates from a place of unselfish motives and uh, is perfect in absolutely every way. That God is a God who is just, a God who is passionate about justice, a God who is passionate about equality, and particularly for those who are on the margins and those who are on the fringes, God is passionate about them having a fair go. We read throughout Isaiah that God is powerful, that God is at work and that his plans are going to come to fruition. So God isn't like a watchmaker who just creates a watch and then winds it up and then lets it unroll. God is at work and present throughout history and continuing to intervene throughout. God is wise. God knows what's right. God knows what's just, as we've already talked about, and what's correct and always acts from that place of wisdom. God never acts in a way that's rash or where he hasn't thought things through. God always understands what the best scenario is and works towards that. One of the key themes that gets unpacked throughout Isaiah is that God is a judge. That God doesn't, again, just allow things to run their course, but that God will hold each of us accountable for the decisions that we make and the choices that we make. 
And in particular, the thing that God struggles with the most is when pride and selfishness kick in. And whether that's with individuals or whether that's with nations, that's where God feels like, no, something needs to be done here because this is not right. This is not the way that things are supposed to be. However, we couple that alongside of the reality that the other theme we see throughout Isaiah is that God is full of grace. God is not a harsh judge, but God is a judge who is fair and right in all that he does. Some people, as you read different passages in Isaiah, see Isaiah as a prophet of doom, a prophet who talks about very bad things that are going to happen because of all of this judgment. But that's missing the point of what God is really up to, because in actual fact, Isaiah is really a prophet of hope, as we unpacked a little bit last week. Because any time that God does need to exert judgment, it's with pain. And it's with a sense of yearning that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. It's with a sense that people are missing out on what's best in life. It's not God being harsh, but it's God saying, when you allow pride and selfishness to dictate the decisions that you make, everything goes sideways. And everything, everyone gets hurt through that. And so God's passion and God's heart is that we would turn away from selfishness, turn away from this thing that we call sin, and instead be able to live the way that he created us to be able to live. And so in reality, the book of Isaiah is really a message that is filled with what we talked about last week, a message of hope, that at some point a rescuer, a saviour, is going to come, someone who's going to come and make things right once and for all, and also this hope that a remnant is going to rise up, a group of people who are going to embrace God's way of life and live that out and therefore be able to impact other people around them. Another way of saying that is that through the book of Isaiah, we really get to understand God's dream, to be able to understand what God's hopes are for his people and for the world at large. And so last week, as we talked about hope, we talked about this idea that the Israelites were this group of people who were living in darkness. They were in a place of complete hopelessness. But all of a sudden, a light was starting to come. And the light was the gift of this child who was going to grow to become those four themes that we talked through. A wonderful counsellor, mighty God, eternal father, and the prince of peace. So the passage that we're going to look at today from a different part of Isaiah is to recognise that with all of that that God is up to, God is always a God of love, a God of unfailing, never-ending love. So Isaiah chapter 63, verse 7 says this, I'll tell of the Lord's unfailing love. I will praise him for all that he has done for us. He's richly blessed the people of Israel because of his mercy and his constant love. So Isaiah starts this part by saying, I'm going to stop long enough to recognise God's unfailing love, to be reminded about the ways in which God has shown his love to us throughout history and the ways in which that's still at work today. And this is a really, really great practice for all of us to take time to be able to do. Because sometimes, especially when we're in a place where we're feeling a bit lost, we're in a place of darkness, being able to slow down long enough to recognise the ways in which God has shown his unfailing love throughout history, but also throughout our history, in our lives, is something that helps us to be able to shift perspective and to be able to see things a different way to be able to restore our confidence in who God is, what God has done, and what therefore God is capable of being able to do. 
And sometimes when we read these sorts of passages, where we read things like, I'll tell of the Lord's unfailing love, I'll praise him for all that he's done for us, we can kind of think that that's for God's benefit. That God, in some ways, is this needy God who really desires us to stop and to give him a sense of praise and to give him his due. But that's not at all what this is about. It really is far more for our benefit than it is for God's benefit. As I said, an ability to restore our confidence in God and to be reminded about what he's like. So Isaiah says, I'll stop long enough to slow down and tell of God's unfailing love. And so we are reminded that that is what God is always about. God's motivation in creation, God's motivation in choosing the Israelites as his chosen people, and then for us, God's motivation in sending Jesus, God's motivation in Jesus' death and resurrection, God's motivation is 100% always about love. And as we looked at in the video, love is this choice to seek the well-being of others without expecting anything in return. And that's what the heart of God is. Seeking the well-being of others, us, without expecting anything in return. Everything that God does comes from that motivation and that perspective. That's at the centre of who God is. Always seeking the best for others. But Isaiah doesn't just say, I'll tell of the Lord's love. He says, I'll tell of the Lord's unfailing love. This others-centred love that never fails, that never gives up that never loses hope, regardless of what else is going on. And so we recognise that this is who God is. This is what God is like. Others-centred, servant-hearted love that never fails and never surrenders. But Isaiah then also talks about God's mercy. And mercy is this word that's very, very similar to compassion. It's a word where we are moved so much about the plight that someone else is in, that we can't help but act. Now, there's a big difference between mercy and pity. Pity is that times that all of us are guilty of, where we kind of see someone who's in a difficult situation and think to ourselves, oh, that's really sad. That person shouldn't be in that situation. But our response to that is, I wish someone would do something about that. That's what pity is. Mercy is the opposite, where we see what that looks like, but we're moved so much that we can't help but act. We have to do something about the plight that someone else is in. For us as a church, there's lots of examples of how we've done that throughout this year. In September, we took some time to recognise that there are a bunch of people who live in Zimbabwe who don't have access to clean drinking water. And so because of that, we were moved to action Some people said, I'm going to give up anything except for water for the whole month so that I can empathise and understand what things are like for them and understand the importance of water. Others of us then gave generously to the work of being able to build wells in Zimbabwe. But for both of us, we were moved by this sense of being able to say, it's not right that someone doesn't have access to clean drinking water close to where they are. We have to do something about this. We sponsor sponsor a couple of kids at Kalishli Children's Village, also in Zimbabwe. And that comes out of a sense of mercy as well. This sense where we say it's not right for kids to grow grow up without a community around them. It's not right for kids to grow up without a really great education and having the best chance at life. And so we're moved to act to do something about it. 
Underneath our Christmas tree, we have a significant number of gifts already. And these gifts are here because we want to give these gifts to CareWorks, particularly for families who are in situations where there's domestic violence. That we say it's not right that a kid should have to grow up in a place where there is domestic violence in their home. And to take that a step further, we would say it's not right that women in particular, but also sometimes men, grow up in situations where domestic violence is there. And particularly at Christmas time, there should be something that someone should do for that. And so that's what all of these gifts are for. All of these things are acts of mercy where we understand what's going on for someone else and we say, I can't help but act. I have to do something. And it doesn't need to be something big like those three examples. It could be something as simple as knowing that someone is struggling, that someone's really sick or someone's having a hard time and picking up the phone and giving them a call or shooting them a text message and say, hey, I'm thinking of you, hope everything's going okay. That also is an act of mercy, saying things aren't the way they're supposed to be for this person and so I'm going to do something about it. So all of us in different ways do acts of mercy on a regular basis. But what's most amazing is that Isaiah reminds us that's what God is like 100% of the time. God constantly understands what's happening for other people looks at that and says it's not right that people don't experience life the way that it's supposed to be and because of who God is, God can't help but act. God says I have to do something to intervene in this situation. So these two things, unfailing love and mercy, that's what's at the core of God. It's what has always been at the core of who God is, what God is all about and what God is always going to be about. Now, for Isaiah, that was talking specifically to a group of people, the Israelites. But with Jesus coming along on the scene, suddenly that love and that mercy is opened up, not just to a chosen group of people, but to everyone, everywhere. And that's why we get excited about Jesus entering into our existence, to take that love and mercy and spread it far and wide. And so Isaiah reminds us in verse 8, That God thinks of us as his people. He says, they are my people, they will not deceive me. And so he saved them from all of their suffering. Now this is where things get a little bit complicated for us in terms of the tense that is being used in what we're reading here. Because this sounds like it's something that's already happened. But Isaiah is a prophet who's talking about some things that are going to happen. But, and this is where our time travel minds get a little bit messed up, What we recognise is that Isaiah has seen a vision of what's going to happen in the future after Jesus has come. And now he's looking back from that to the current situation. And so when we read God saying he saved them from all of their suffering, this is Isaiah projecting forward to Jesus coming along and saving us from all of our suffering. But he's looking back on that, if that makes sense. can be a little confusing, some of the tense stuff here. But in the midst of all of that, initially, Isaiah is talking about God's people as the Israelites, the chosen ones. God says, these are my people. This is my family. These are the people who I'm investing my love, my passion, my time in. These are the people who want to live the way that we're supposed to live. And God's belief in this group of people is this. They won't deceive me. They'll stay faithful to me. That's what God's expectation is of his family. Why on earth, if I'm a God of unfailing love and mercy, would they want to deceive me and not stay faithful to me? 
That's God's believing the best in humanity and in the Israelites in particular. And yet we know that's not quite the story of what the Israelites do, is it? They don't stay faithful to God. They consistently say thanks but no thanks and walk away from God's best. They consistently deceive God and say we're going to do this, but then they don't. They go in the complete opposite direction. And yet God still comes along and sends a saviour, a rescuer to this group of people who, if we're honest, probably don't really deserve it. But even more profound than that, it's the rest of verse 9. It says, It was not an angel, but the Lord himself who saved them. In his love and compassion, he rescued them. And so here's the foretaste of what Jesus is going to do. That this God who is all about unfailing love, this God who is all about mercy, about having to act because of the plight that someone else is in, can't help but do something. And he doesn't say, who else would like to go? Let's send an angel. Let's send a heavenly being, someone else who can step up. Jesus is God himself, as we've unpacked in our last series. The full representation of God in human form comes to us as this little baby. So as we go through this series, we want to do a couple of things to be able to say, well, what were the Israelites hoping that God was going to fulfill through these prophecies that Isaiah gave? So part of this is Isaiah saying this is the ways in which God has been faithful, but this looking forward to be able to say there is a time coming when a rescuer is going to come who's going to be God himself, who's going to show us just how profound this unfailing love and mercy is for us. It follows on from the hope that we talked about last week, that at just the right time, God was going to do something to make things right. So the Israelites, recognising that they're God's chosen people, had this hope and this sense that at some point God was going to do something and something would be fulfilled that would change everything once and for all. But in this passage, we recognise that wasn't a representative of God, that was God himself who was going to come and act. And so how does Jesus fulfill this? Well, as we talked about, he comes as the person of God, God himself, not just an angel, to show us exactly how deep God's love is for us, to show us exactly what it looks like to live out mercy, to live out compassion, who shows us exactly what God's faithfulness is like for us. Jesus comes and shows us all of those things and so much more in his life, his death, and his resurrection. So what does all this mean for us? Well, the focus of this series is fulfilled, and so we're trying to look at that from two perspectives. How does Jesus fulfill these Old Testament prophecies of what was to come? But also, how do these truths fulfill us? How do these things fill us up to the fullest? So, how does God's love fulfil us, is a question for us to be able to reflect on. We want to recognise that the motivation for Jesus coming as this king is not military power. It's not to overthrow the armies, it's not to overthrow the governments. Jesus doesn't come to check up on us, to say, are you all living the way that you're supposed to? And if you're not, give you a little rap over the knuckles. Jesus comes because of this motivation of love, pure and simple. Jesus comes as a newborn king, yes, but he comes as a king that sets up a brand new type of kingdom that has this unfailing love at the center of it. And so just think for a moment about this journey that Jesus goes on. 
And this never ceases to blow my mind, to recognise that the God of the universe, the God who has always existed, this amazing God, chooses to come to us in the form of a helpless little baby. A baby who is unable to do anything for itself, who needs his mum and dad to look after him, to do everything. The God of the universe makes that choice to become one of us. Then to become a toddler, then to become a child, then a teenager, then a young adult, and to work through all the stuff that all of us work through about identity and purpose and why we're here and what is life all about. And then Jesus, we know, deals with things like sadness and grief and people misunderstanding him, people misinterpreting him. And then ultimately, we know, as Jesus then makes his way all the way towards the cross, Jesus deals with betrayal, even from those who are closest to him. And ultimately, his journey leads to the cross, this unbelievably painful death. Jesus goes through all of that. And the question we have to ask ourselves is why? Why would Jesus come and do all of that? And the answer is simple. It's the theme that we're talking about today. Because of God's unfailing love. Because of God's faithfulness to us, even when we're not faithful to him, because God loves us that much that Jesus was willing to come and do all of that. And so now we are his people. God sees us as his family And God believes in us in the same way. God believes that we're not going to deceive him. God believes that we're going to stay faithful to him. God wants us to be able to live in honesty and integrity in a full, pure relationship with him. So as we wrap up today, I want to leave us this question to reflect on as we head into this week. How much are we allowing ourselves to be filled up by that love of God? Isaiah talks about this idea of telling of God's unfailing love. So what does it look like as we head into this week to get up every day and to start with a sense of reminding ourselves of God's unfailing love? To remember God's love to the Israelites, to remember God's love to us, to remember the ways in which we've seen God stick with us in the times that have happened before us. What does it look like every day to start with that perspective, to get up and just acknowledge God loves me as I am right now in this moment. And God is going to love me all the way through today, regardless of what ends up happening. What does it look like for us to stop long enough to recognise that God is a God of mercy? That God does understand what's happening for us, especially when we're going through difficult times. God isn't a God of pity who just stands by and says, oh, I wish someone would do something about that. God enters into our existence. Through Jesus, God understands fully what it's like to live with suffering, the difficulties that we experience as humans. So what does it look like for us to stop long enough to acknowledge that and to recognise God's with us, especially in our pain, especially in our dark places? But then also, what does it look like for us to remember that this love that God gives us is not because God hopes that we can pay him back. It's not because God hopes that we can do something in return for him. It's a free gift that's given to us. And as we head towards Christmas, we remember just how profound that is, that this baby is given as a gift with no expectation of anything in return. So again, what does it look like to get up every day and to say, today is not about me trying to earn God's love. 
Today is not about me trying to repay God for all that he's done for me. It's living out of the freedom that he gives. So how much are we allowing that to be the thing that fills us up? And how much are we distracted and focused on other things filling us up? Focused on possessions and saying, well, if I can just have these things, then I'll feel more fulfilled. Focused on relationships. Well, if I can just have this relationship or if I can just get these things sorted out, then I'll feel fulfilled. How much are we worried about other people's opinions? Well, if that person just liked me a little bit more, then I'll feel fulfilled. Or even as I said, how much are we trying to fulfill ourselves by saying, today I'm going to prove how much I'm worthy of God's love. How much are we trying to be filled up by that when God simply wants us to stop, to remember and to tell of his unfailing love and his mercy that's been given to us as a free gift? So as we head into this week, that's what I'm going to pray, is that we would continue to understand what that looks like and that as we continue to prepare for Christmas, we'd be reminded that these aren't just ideas that are random and out there somewhere. They take on human flesh in the person of Jesus, this amazing gift who then shows us what a life that is centred around love and mercy looks like and calls us to follow him. Let's pray. God, we do pause this morning to do what Isaiah did, to tell of your unfailing love, to tell of this amazing love that has existed before creation, to tell of this love that is the whole reason that you created our earth, our universe, and created humanity. You created us simply to experience and get wrapped up in your love, to celebrate of the journey of this group of people who you invested in, these people called the Israelites, who you poured your unfailing love into. Even though they didn't stay faithful to you, even though they walked away from you, your love never failed. We tell of this amazing story of you becoming one of us in the form of this tiny little helpless baby who then grows into a man who would die and rise again so that all of us can experience your love, your unfailing love in significant ways in our lives. And so as we head into this week, my prayer is simply that all of us would be able to get another glimpse and another taste of just how profound that is, that at the heart and core of who you are is this unfailing, unwavering love, this others-centred, servant-hearted focused love that doesn't expect or demand anything in return. You simply call us this week to live as your people, freed up from needing to earn anything, freed up from needing to prove ourselves. And so each day I ask that you would fill us up again with a reminder of who you are, what you have done for us, and therefore who we are because of that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.